Hi, I'm Raji Hassan, and this is the Raj Pod, otherwise known as the Raji Hassan Show. But we all know that Raj Pod is catchier. Like you're gonna say to your friends, "Did you listen to the Raj Pod? Episode four of the Raj Pod dropped. I really hope that you listened to the Raj Pod. Pod Raj, Raj Pod, Pod Raj." That's what you're going to say. I doubt that that's what you're going to say, but it's in your head now. Today, I'm very excited because today is the 37th anniversary of the premiere of The Golden Girls. It has been rerun ever since it hit the airwaves, I think. And now it's probably on TV Land or Hallmark and Hulu. It's all over the place. And today's guest is Lex Passeris, my friend Lex Passeris. I really hate it when people in the industry are like, please welcome my friend. Mickey Mouse, please welcome my friend Donald Duck. And they're not actually friends. Lex is an actual friend, and he's so much more than a friend to me. He is a mentor. He is a guide. He is a teacher. He began on the Golden Girls in 1985 as a video assistant, an editorial assistant, I believe. And then by 1992, in its final year, 91-92, he was directing it. He went from like the littlest position in post to the greatest position on the floor. And he has wonderful stories, wonderful stories to tell about his time with the ladies. But specifically today, he's going to tell us about three things that we can learn from the life of Betty White. And before we get into the conversation, I want to tell you all how I met Lex. It's the greatest story. In 2007, the Writers Guild went on strike, and I wanted to interview some writers and write a paper about it. And I knew a production assistant who at the time worked on Two and a Half Men, and I said to her, hey, could I interview the writers on the show? And she said, absolutely not. <laughs> she goes, but I do know a man who would probably be very willing to talk to you. His name is Lex Passeris, at which I like promptly dropped the phone. And I said, you got to be kidding. You're not talking about the man who directed Golden Girls. And she said, yeah, do you know him? I said, yes, I grew up watching that show with my grandmother. Like, I, I, that name is tattooed on my brain. I didn't know how to say his last name for the longest time. And she goes, yeah, well, let me email him, and we'll see if he's open to an interview. She emails him. She emails me back, and she says, he'd love to talk to you. Here's his home phone number. And I could not believe it. I called him. He invited me to his home, and I showed up <laughs> in a button-down, long-sleeve button-down, green dress shirt and a red tie like it was Christmas, which it wasn't. I don't think it was Christmas. And we sat there talking, and I asked him all my questions, and then I turned off the recorder, and we just kept chatting. And when I left, this was in 2007, when I left, I said, would you mind if I stayed in touch with you? And he said, no, not at all. And he's become... I'm at a loss for words for what he has become to me. And I'm like thinking of him listening to this and how uncomfortable it's making him as he's listening to it. <laughs> but he is great. He is wonderful. And he just, he retired a couple of years ago from the industry. And he is, he is the kind of person that we need in the business. 
he sets such an example of generosity, kindness, and integrity. And Lex, if you're listening to this, we are all better because of you. My dear friends, here is my conversation with Lex Passeris. Three things we can learn from the life of Betty White. Hello. Hello. I, the first thing I want to say to you is I'm so happy that I'm happy that you're doing this. And then to incredibly thankful that you're doing this. And this has felt like a long time coming for me. Because uh, I think we met in 2007 or 2008. Uh, that sounds right. Because I was back on Sweet Life. So, yeah. Yeah, it was during the writer's strike, right? Because I came to your house to interview you. I <laughs> <laughs> over Writer's my strike. head. Oh yeah, I remember those. Yeah, I was like <laughs> seven or eight. Yeah, um, I came to your house to interview you, and I walked into your house, and I'd never, I had never seen you. I had just seen your name, right? And you opened the door, and you were welcoming and inviting, and then you showed me the Hirschfeld ah. of the girls and the cheesecake. Yes. When I say, when I say the name Betty White. What comes to mind for you? What's the first thing that comes to mind? Sunshine. Yeah, I, you're definitely not alone. I, you know, and uh, I, I think I've told you this one before, but my mother passed away in 1997. So that was five years, four years after the end of the show. And I was in Prescott, Arizona in her apartment, taking care of some of her things and trying to deal with the shock. Cause I, I, you know, I didn't really cry for a week. It was like, there were mm -hmm. things to do. Um, but I knew I was in shock and just trying to deal with everything. And uh, one of the local stations carried some old TV show I liked. And so when I went to bed the night before that was the station that was on, I got up in the morning, made my coffee, went to turn on the TV and it turned out it was the ABC station and uh, Regis and Kathy Lee were on <laughs> and Betty was the guest. And it was right, you know, at the beginning of her segment, because uh, she'd just come out with another one of her books. And I just I felt warm and embraced mm. because it was Betty. And even though, you know, it had been four or five years since it was an everyday thing when I would see Betty, just hearing her voice made me calm and relaxed and put a smile on my face. And I, you know, took pen to paper when I got home and wrote her a thank you card just for being there. Do you remember your first introduction to Betty? I don't. And it's funny, somebody else asked me that recently. And I, and it's funny because I, I thought about it again this morning because I thought, you know, well, you might ask, too. Mm -hmm. it, it's a logical question. It, it's really early on in my career. I got past the point of, oh, my God, that's Patty Duke. Oh, my God, that's Dick Crenna. Oh. oh, my God, that's. So you got over yeah. the starstruck thing quickly. Very quickly because... Help me, Lex. And especially as a gopher, 
you see these people, I, I won't say when they're vulnerable, but but when the when the lights are off. We see in Betty's career, so all four of these ladies were on this hit show for seven years, right? And we see in Betty's career this insane staying power that lasted until the last couple of years of her life, right? Up until the last couple of years of her life. Was that, was there something inherent about her that made her different from the other ladies that gave her the staying power? Or was that a conscious choice on her part to keep working? Or did, were the other ladies not getting the same kinds of offers that she was? I, I think uh, I'll say it's threefold. One is from a pure television standpoint, she had the very best training of anyone, you know, any one of the four ladies. Um, B originally came out of theater, um, did films, but, you know, it, the the regular television thing didn't really come to her till Maude. Mm. Um, Rue was in television shows off and on, but again, not her milieu. And deep inside, she was a stage performer. And Estelle was a pure uh, stage performer slash um, uh, student film actor. You know, uh, when we found <laughs> out some of her credits later on, it was like she was a go-to for student films in in uh, the New York area. And, wow. Before uh, Golden Girls. But all before, yeah. So. Okay. Can you imagine and, Estelle after Golden Girls with her Emmy being like, yeah, yeah, I'll do the student film at USC. Sure. I, actually, I could see that. I love and, that. I love depending that. Depending on who it was, you know, she, Estelle would do things from her heart, mm. you know? And so, yeah, I could see her doing that. Absolutely. Um, anyway, back to Betty. She started in live television. Right. Um uh, you know, her first credit is experimental television in Los Angeles in 1939. That's crazy. Yeah. And <laughs> so, you know, and for the uh, like two or three years in the early 50s, she was on six days a week. Five of those days, Monday through Friday, was five and a half, six hours straight, unscripted. And there were two cameras in the studio. She had a co-host, but, you know, they only had the two cameras to work with. So when you're on, you're on, you have no script. So you're winging whatever it is. And, and the breadth of what they did, I mean, it was technically a variety show, but not like, here's our guest, Frank Sinatra. Um, it, but they were doing, you know, uh, uh, Miming to records was a big thing then. So I think they did some of those. Uh, her first two co-hosts were DJs. So, mm. you know, that let's play a record kind of thing was a big deal. Live ads. That's the only way they happen. You know, there, there wasn't a whole lot of rolling going on from, from the kinescope. So, uh, or from telecine. So, um, yeah, it, it, I mean, that was a remarkable training ground. So that was one thing. Second thing with Betty is she was unafraid to try anything. Really? Yeah. 
absolutely not a not a bone of fear in her body and so you know betty you want to host a parade yeah sure betty you want to do a game show yeah sure betty you want to do a sitcom which she hadn't really done and you know what 52 was the first one the life Life of of elizabeth Elizabeth. Yeah. yeah um yeah sure you know it was like betty didn't start with no and so or go talk to my agent or whatever (laughs) and then i think the third thing is just that she was who you saw you know when i say Mm. i think of sunshine it's because that you know betty woke up in the morning i assume i was never next to her at the time yeah (laughs) Uh, but you know, Betty would 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 face every day with a smile on her face, and she never came to work unless she looked go- not you know ready to to go on screen, but presentable. Yeah, and and you know that's that's who she was, and it was genuine. Yeah. So, um, you know, I I think if you put those three things together. Nobody can can guarantee what's going to get what will ensure longevity. Mm. However, that's a pretty good base point. So training, fearlessness and a good attitude. Yeah. Wow. That's amazing. We you know, know I, that. Think of how many times you've heard of somebody and it's like, hey, we're thinking of getting you know, Mr. X or, you know, Madam Z for the show. And you go, yeah, I've heard about them. Yeah. And it's like, it may or may not even be true. And sad to say nowadays, some people who aren't that way, their publicists want to garner that reputation because it's somehow a badge of honor in the TMZ world. That one, Betty. We we know that she she was married three times and her she found the great love of her life in in the third marriage alan ludden did she ever talk to you about him because he had he had just passed right before golden girls like in 81 or 82 yeah it had been a few years so golden girls came around 85 we did the pilot in the spring of 85 and we went on the air in september of 85 Um, and did she ever bring him up to you when i got married Betty took me aside and she said, I just want you to know um, when I met Alan, I wasn't interested mostly based on the fact that her first two marriages, she was very young for the first one and still pretty young for the second one. Neither one went well. I believe the biggest sticking points were she wanted her career and they didn't want her to have a career. Right. But Alan, who was, and neither of them were in the business, I don't think. It's been years since I've read the book. But um, so ultimately, Alan was coming on stronger and stronger and stronger. And Betty, very politely, and I I could hear the Betty, (laughs) you know, the way she must have been. But it was like, you know, God bless you, but I'm not really interested. And... uh, he, she said he looked at her at one point and he said, Betty White, I'm going to win you over. Mm. And he maintained his uh, romantic pursuit for a solid year. 
And finally, you know, she figured, well, maybe I'm wrong. And ultimately, they ended up getting married. And Betty paused and a little bit of a tear in her eye, just a hint of one. And she said, I'd give anything to have that year back. You know, my personal favorite episode of the whole run, I think, was the heart attack, which was. uh, Oh, yeah. In the first year. Yeah. And my good friend, Jimmy Drake, who sadly just passed away, directed that. Uh, Susan wrote it. Uh, It was actually meant to be a live show. Interesting. Really? Yeah. But once once we saw that Estelle and live television were not going to go together. Even though she came from the theater, that's so interesting. Well, I can tell you about that in a minute. But anyway, um, so each of the ladies talks about their loss in trying to, because uh, Dorothy's afraid that Sophia's going to die from a heart attack. Turns out it's just indigestion. But um, uh, Blanche tells her story about um, her husband and. Betty or Rose has her story about when Charlie died. And the editor I used to work with that year, a guy named Rick McKenzie, um, it was kind of a gruff guy, not not the type to go for the maudlin or the, you know, sentimental stuff. And really, you know, he was an excellent editor and he wasn't going to cut it out, but, you know, it wasn't going to get to him. Right. Even he couldn't get through. Oh wow! Uh, uh, the playback without tearing up. Where Betty talks about losing Charlie. Betty talks about losing Charlie, but or Rose talks about losing Charlie. Rose but, about yeah, but Betty's but talking Betty's about talking losing about Alan. Alan. Yeah. Oh my goodness! Did you ever? This woman of sunshine. Did you ever see this woman of sunshine get upset? Once. Were you sure? Uh, it was the end of. Um, the spinoff series, Golden Palace. Hmm. And which is now on Hulu, friends. <laughs> yes, go see it if you can stand it. The show was not a great idea from the start. Um, B, I think, wisely had decided that she'd done everything she could with the character. Hmm. And that was why she left the show. It wasn't, you know, there's a lot of you know she was mad at so-and-so or she was this or she was that she just didn't see this character growing anymore and you know it makes a lot of sense to continue yeah absolutely when it came to this um betty just liked to work yeah clearly for her you know continuing on was comfortable the pilot was not well thought through. The characters were not well thought through. There were a lot of roadblocks and bumps and whatever throughout the year. The writers were really trying to go for the old balance. Yeah. And without V there, you, you've got a three-legged table. And even if Cheech and Cheadle had, you know, if, if the concept of Don Cheadle's character and Cheech's character were to sort of take up that slack. That's not the way it was written. And ultimately you, you have things coming out of Rose's mouth or Blanche's mouth, or even Sophia's mouth 
that would have been a Dorothy line. Right. So they fit the framework of the joke in its familiarity, but, but not the character. Yeah. So we go through the whole year. It's not going well. We get to the final episode. There's a lot of pressure. CBS is really ready to yank it. The ladies really want it to come back. And there's sort of this bargain made. Oh, they wanted to do another year. They wanted, they didn't want to go away. They wanted to continue. Oh my gosh. I never, I never knew that. Oh yeah. But they wanted changes and they wanted it, you know, refocused and so on and so on. So, you know, allegedly there were promises made between the CBS brass and our brass. And I don't know how high up the ladder in our writing staff it went, but I'm sure that the executive producer was involved. But the promise was made. We're going to do our best effort for the final show. We're going to give you a great script. We're going to show you where the show could go, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Instead, we got here, and it's not if you watch the shows on uh, on Hulu, I believe the final episode that aired was called Sex Lies and Tortillas. Um, and that <laughs> I honestly was, couldn't tell you. Uh, yeah. And that was actually, you know, five or six episodes before the end of the run it was something mm-hmm. we were just keeping on a shelf. The final episode, which I also directed, um, there was just nothing there. It was very typical, simple, you know, sitcom. No, no challenges, no indication of where it was going to go and so on and so on and so on, um, which made for a really uncomfortable week and a lot of starts and stops. And at one point, I sat with the ladies because they were just disgusted. They were, they were hurt. Yeah. And so I said, look, tell me exactly where you think this can be fixed, what your worries are. You know, we went through the long laundry list, sat for, you know, an hour. Um, the script supervisor took perfect notes. And then I sent them home. And I took the list and I went with the stage manager over to um, the executive producer's office. And he and one of the writers were sitting in there. And I said, okay, I just talked to the ladies and this is kind of what they, you know, they're not happy. They're hoping that this magic rewrite will include these things. And I'd like to go over these points with you. And he said, yeah, okay. And, you know, I spent 10, 15 minutes in there going through everything with witness. And he didn't write a word down. Oh, wow. He nodded, said, okay, got it. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, I wasn't going to question his memory. (laughs) But what I didn't know is he'd been fired. So he said, no problem. We're going to get all this done. You'll have a, you know. Brand new script. It'll be great. It was about two, three in the afternoon. I come home and I'm thinking, all right, it's going to be a late night because I'm not going to get the script till four or five in the morning if it's not just sitting on my doorstep when I get up. 
7.30, the script arrives. That wasn't wow. even happening on a regular show. I thought, oh, well, maybe they were ahead of the curve here. I flipped through it, and there's like seven or eight lines changed. It's like no big, you know. Oh, wow. And so now you're tasked with, now I have to go to the ladies and tell them. Yeah, and I had made the mistake of saying to the ladies, I promise you, I guarantee you, I will get your word across. So, you know, what what little uh, cachet I had left yeah. was on the line. And uh, yeah, it wasn't there on the page. So we uh, we go in the next morning and, you know, for the first and only time, Betty actually yelled at me. Oh, my not, God. Not at, you know. Right, right, I, right, right. I was the target and, and she was justified and she was justified because she was hurt. And yeah. it wasn't that I had hurt her, but the process had hurt her. What do you think we can learn from the life of Betty White? Be brave. Try not to lead with the word no. It's kind of like doing improv in a way. You know, you never say no in an improv. It's yes and. And, uh, you know, I, I just try. I mean, there's a lot wrong with the world. There's a lot wrong with our daily lives. Um, the older you get, your health. <laughs> you know I'm yeah. aware of all that stuff but um you know Bet betty well uh, i might have told you this one before too betty once broke her rib in a rehearsal what uh i'm gonna say now you know this is going back several years but from all that we've been able to piece together it was probably the Bob Hope show in a strange way because there was the magician that Estelle brings in. It might have been, and I think we did another show with the magician. So it may not have been this one. But anyway, somehow Estelle is friends with a magician and there's this giant wheel in the living room. You know, uh, like like you're going to spin the wheel and pick a number. Kind yeah, of yeah, 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 yeah. But it's the kind of wheel that you can attach your um assistant to and like in a knife throwing act you know you do the thing well this one was like the vanishing lady trick and so the the gag was betty was going to be the the volunteer she gets on the wheel he goes over and spins it she goes around and around and around and he raises a I forget how the trick was even supposed to work and it wasn't something we could do in real time mm. which was also very unusual for the show long story short uh, we didn't need Betty to do the round and round and round but to start and end it she would have to you know rock out of position and then rock back into position and Betty was again, Betty didn't say no. So she got on the wheel. And I think we went all the way around once. And either then or in one of the other rehearsals, I mean, this was going on for a couple of days. And somehow she broke a rib. Did not say a word. Nobody knew. 
Oh my gosh. Finally, Tommy Carpenter, our stage manager, caught a moment out of the side of his eye when she was sure no one was looking. And she winced. And Betty oh. doesn't wince. Yeah. And so he finally pressed her far enough to find out that, you know, I don't think it was ever officially said one way or the other that the rib was broken, but, you know, she'd kind of hurt herself. But she wasn't not going to do the gag. Yeah. Because that's Betty. My gosh, I've seen people with a hangnail make a bigger deal. You know, it's like, <laughs> so, um, yeah, I, I, I think, what what you take away from Betty and her inspiration and her life is just that you know face it with both eyes open and a smile on your face and if it gets uncomfortable you know you may get to the point where you'll crack and yell at people you love but for the most part you know those moments are earned mm. you know I've been yelled at for nothing and, you know, there's no rhyme or reason that would never happen in a Betty White world. Well, to Betty, you know, to Betty, if you enjoyed today's episode, please, I never know what to say. Rate, comment, like, subscribe, share some verb that means make the show better. If you enjoyed today's episode, choose one of those verbs and do that to the show. That would be great. And I will remind you that we are worth what we want. And there isn't anything that we cannot breathe through. Thank you for your time. And I will talk at you soon.